Welcome to another episode of the Propaganda Report. This is Monica Perez broadcasting from Stockholm, Sweden with Brad Binkley, who I believe is broadcasting at four in the morning from Atlanta, Georgia. Snellville, actually. (laughs) From Snellville. Our politicians in Snellville like to buy porn on our tax dollars. Well, at least they're keeping up with the uh, rest of the country. Healthy sex life, yeah. Isn't it, it, was it somebody sent me an email, a, a link about like 15 or 30, some crazy number of mayors who were arrested for like, kitty porn or whatever in the past? I think that's like a requirement <laughs> to run for office at this point. Well, don't they say that the clean guys, they no, no person of power or influence wants a clean guy in office because you can't, can't work it over their head? Can't get problems. <laughs> So, but anyway, because I, I realize that you're dealing with 4 a.m., I don't think that's unusual for you. I have a terrible time with jet lag. So I'm going to, you're going to have to lead me through this podcast by the nose, my dear. I have plenty of thoughts, but I'm not sure I have much organization. Um, you have, you have definite thoughts. I know that. <laughs> I want to give you a challenge to start the show off. Okay. I'm ready. I want to play Name That Tune. Oh, I'm not great at Name That Tune. Oh. We're gonna I'm going to try, though. Go, I can name that tune in 16 notes. So on Friday night, got lost and drunk and into a fight. Put it follow the dead round for you. Oh. <laughs> I don't know it. Who's the artist? I can't remember the name of the song. I feel like it's one of those guys who's like a bad singer. Uh. Warren Zevon. No, you're a way off. It is <laughs> Joe, dead intern in my office, Scarborough. Oh my gosh. <laughs> He's been playing. He played The View. He been he played Jimmy Kimmel. He's been touring around the late show ever since he denounced Republicanism and hooked up with Mika. He's been going and playing his rock and roll as Mika dances in the front. They always cut to her. She's just what? rocking out. Yeah, it's, I did see crazy. one time when he was singing. First of all, you got one too fast for me. He's not a Republican anymore? No, he denounced Republicanism so like when? a few months ago. Oh, funny. He said, I'm leaving the Republican Party. I was always surprised he was a Republican. When I found out he was Joe dead intern Republican guy, like congressman, I was surprised. And you that was only like last year, a couple months ago. I didn't even realize because the Republican, you know, nobody has any ideology anymore. So I just was like, oh, he's a Republican. I guess what difference does it make? But now he's not a Republican. Is he a Democrat? He didn't say he was a Democrat. He just said he was leaving the Republican Party. To go and hook up with Mika. I think that might might have been a requirement. Right. Okay. How long is that marriage going to last? I don't know. I don't know if they've even announced that they are technically married or not. Yeah, I was wondering about that. They had to say they were going to get married kind of the way Woody Allen had to marry Sun Yi. But uh, you know what I mean? You kind of have to at that point to make it not look like what it is. So we'll see. Yeah. You should check out the video. Maybe I'll put a link in the description. He, yeah, that's awesome. If you heard the beginning great. of that lyric, he talks about his old friend Bill, who I think used to get drunk, and they would call him Jill. So I don't know if there's a transgender thing going right. on there. And he followed the dead around. Like, that's what's interesting to me, given that I'm married to a deadhead, I think, who I try to explain that, <laughs> from what I understand, the dead were like a CIA operation. <laughs> but, 
He will not hear it. Like, I actually don't say that to my husband because I know it'll bum him out. <laughs> I'll investigate that. There's been some research done on the topic. The government made the acid and just passed it around to the kids so they couldn't think straight anymore. Yeah, they gave it to their own agents too, didn't they? They start with their own agents. Uh, like in the research and everything, Timothy Leary and all that stuff. Is that what you mean? Or do they send them out on the street? I know if you read the book, which you probably didn't because it's kind of obscure, Mary's Mosaic, it's about JFK's last mistress who was killed shortly after the Warren Commission report came out, supposedly because she knew stuff. Cord Meyer was her ex-husband who at first was trying to establish a world government that he was going to run. But then later ran, I believe he ran Operation Mockingbird, the uh, CIA infiltration of the Washington Post and all those other big newspapers. But she turned JFK supposedly onto acid, which she got from Timothy Leary. And he started seeing like the truth of things. <laughs> so, and that only like, I would normally think a book like that was total disinfo, but uh, I think it might even be written by her son. But in any case, his last speech at American University right before he was killed was about this uh, peace that we could achieve in our time. And and uh, he hinted, in my opinion, to understanding that the U.S. is going around causing all this trouble, that we have arrived to where we could have peace and prosperity. And, uh, and I think that's when they had to get rid of him. And if you read the report from Iron Mountain, which was written around that time, it says if you have a a president who cannot gin up the enthusiasm for a war that we need, that's a catastrophe. And then he was dead. Whatever. Well, we dove. Am I off track? The rabbit hole. <laughs> Sorry. And I'm completely off track of the things that. Uh, you were going to tell me about the fight that you saw. Oh, yeah. So I launched. So this is what I'm doing. My husband's got a big birthday. Don't ask me what birthday. It might have implications for my own upcoming birthdays that I don't want to talk about. But uh, so we're on this. So he's got a big birthday and he had a business trip and I'm just kind of tagging along and then we're going to do some vacationing, whatever. So we launched this excursion in Vegas going to the Triple G Canelo fight. So I, my family has a long history of boxing I enjoy a good fight. I'm not like, I don't follow the minutiae. I don't usually follow the little ones. The skinny guys bum me out because they just pound on each other for 12 rounds. And <laughs> I don't know. So, but this was supposed to be a good fight. And uh, <clears throat> I like Triple G. I liked Canelo too. Triple G is like from Kazakhstan. And Canelo Alvarez is, Canelo means cinnamon. He's like the ginger from Mexico. And, uh, <clears throat> Canelo was going up a weight, so I didn't figure he was going to win. And Triple G's fantastic, so I figured he would uh, dominate him. And fight was a good fight. It looked real. They were both super exhausted. Canelo kind of was more tired, and I wondered sometimes why right, Triple G didn't just beat the living crap out of him. But it looked like a great fight. It was a good fight. I was happy. It was restoring my faith in uh, in something. You know, I was like after seeing. Some of the recent Mayweather fights, I thought, they were all kind of orchestrated. They were all planned. Uh, so the fight's over, and everybody knows. The audience was for Canelo. It was Mexican Independence Day. There were a lot of Mexicans in the audience, and he's Mexican. Uh, so people were really rooting for him. But it was clear he lost. 
So, so they, so they were rooting for him and then, but at the end, so we're waiting for the decision. Everybody knew what the decision was going to be obviously for Triple G who won almost every round. And they said there were three judges. The first guy has it for Triple G. The next judge has it overwhelmingly for Canelo. And then the last judge has it as a tie. So this fight was a draw. So the entire arena just erupts in booze. I mean, it was like, and these are mostly Canelo fans, but when he clearly, you know, once they realized the fight was fixed, they weren't having it. We were, everybody was furious. Every, every, everybody. But they cut to Max Kellerman from ESPN broadcasting from the ring saying, oh, when did you know you'd, you know, you'd started winning the fight and all this. And Canelo's like, I was winning the whole time. And we're like, what the fuck are you talking about? What is Kellerman talking about? He knows better than this. And Mateo a tweet, was tweeting me saying, oh, he's been doing this the whole time. Every round on the air, he's been saying, oh, yeah, Canelo really is doing great. And you're watching thinking, what are you talking about? So he was talking it up the whole time. And then, uh, so it was clearly fixed. I mean, it was absolutely fixed. They immediately, then I find out like within seconds or minutes that the judge who had it overwhelmingly for Canelo was a female. So Adelaide Bird, I think her name is. And I was like, oh, okay. So now, because it's so clearly fixed, the only way they can pretend that it's not fixed is that she's stupid because she's a chick. You just can't give a chick a job in boxing. Right. Why would chicks, you know, it's very obvious to say why. I actually don't like it. I think it's crazy when they have these, like, insanely skimpily dressed uh, blonde chicks with really deep voices talking to, like, seven-foot-tall basketball players in a men's sport. I have I don't see why they have to, you know, have affirmative action like that. Who cares? I have to be honest with you. I cannot stand when... Not, not that I can't stand it, but just when when a chick is is uh, doing play by play for a college football game, very few times have I've been impressed with it. It's it, like you said; it seems like there's I don't know. I don't want to sound. Not, well, I mean, it's a men's sport. Why should it be female? You know what I mean? It's a men's sport. It's fine if chicks can make it. That's fine, but it's clearly that they're placed right. there to make it look like they're it's equal opportunity, and it's and I find it annoying, but. It was very clear. And what people did not focus on was that there was a third judge who said it was a tie. So no one in the entire world thought that it was a tie or that Canelo had won, except for two out of the three judges. So of the millions of people who watched, absolutely nobody thought that it was even a tie. So two out of the three judges. So what is Stephen A. Smith and one of the commentators comes on. He's like, she should be drug tested immediately. She should not be able to leave the building without being drug tested. Nobody says anything about the guy with the tie. And nobody says investigated. Is it more likely that this chick showed up at the most important day of her life on drugs or that she got paid off? <laughs> you know what I mean? And why wouldn't the commission, they were like, we're so the commissioner, whatever they said, boxing commission in Nevada says she needs to take, take a little break from boxing. Take a little break from boxing. She needs to be investigated immediately. You know what I mean? Like, it's a crime. Yeah. Maybe so, she's having an affair with the guy that she helped out. I think they just, you know, as uh, Tim Kelly says, they suggest you they, you you ask, you're getting paid off. Do you want to be paid off in gold or lead? You know what I mean? Like, that's how they do it. So ends up, I believe that Triple G probably had to be in on it, too, because I think in retrospect that he did pull punches because Canelo's arm, his left arm was down numerous times and triple g completely had it in him to just clobber him 
and did not. So I realize now Triple G had to have pulled, pulled some punches. So, but here's the, the reason that was so interesting to me. It was so shocking. It was so blatant and it was so clear that everyone was in on it from the broadcasters to the commissioners to everybody. I mean, everybody was in on it except for the audience who was booing. And, uh, my husband was like, I said, see, everything's fake. And he said, yeah, you're right. It's <laughs> like, finally, after wow. 20 years of hearing the Monica Perez show, you know, long before there was a Monica Perez show, this guy finally, I mean, he'll probably like show up for work and have to like get his mind right. <laughs> you know, He's probably not going to be able to maintain that level of awareness while he has to function economically in this world. But he just could not deny that. I mean, I showed him a picture of that Charlie Hebdo policeman getting like not shot in the head. It's complicated, but if you go to my website, monicaperezshow.com and Google policeman, you'll see this whole thing. And I just showed him, I walked him through it, whatever. And he just simply, it prompted me to buy a t-shirt with Richard Pryor's face on it that said, who are you going to believe me or your lion eyes? And he could not get his mind around something. I was showing him a picture. I was showing him of what was clearly in my, to me, a false flag. This, though, this got through to him. So let's see how, how susceptible he is to future truth. But this was undeniable. undeniable. Let's get through to people when it occurs to something that they care about, when they're invested in a fight. Or that they understand it and they know they understand it. Right. He would yeah, say yeah. with the bullets, like, I don't know how a body reacts to a bullet. I'm like, well, heads explode. <laughs> you know, like, oh, that's how it is in movies. It's like, no. Like, people definitely bleed stop moving but um yeah he just couldn't see it so anyway i feel like now he uh he is see let's see how long it lasts but that thing i thought there would be a lot of hullabaloo and nobody cares well you'll have to remind him of that event every time you're trying to show him that something is a setup yes i will your mic is super hot just fyi so turn it down a little bit how's that a little better. All right. All right. We uh, let's talk about Trump's UN speech. I know you had. A, uh, yeah, that made me sad. A little bit to say about that. I want to start off. I'm going to play you. I want to play you a clip of Trump, and then I want to play you a clip of McCain from about two weeks ago. They sound very similar in what they're saying. I think you'll find it interesting. Here's the clip okay. of Trump from the speech at the UN. This institution was founded in the aftermath of two world wars to help shape this better future. It was based on the vision that diverse nations could cooperate to protect their sovereignty, preserve their security, and promote their prosperity. It was in the same period exactly 70 years ago that the United States developed the Marshall Plan to help restore Europe, those three beautiful pillars, they're pillars of peace, sovereignty, security, and prosperity. The Marshall Plan was built on the noble idea that the whole world is safer when nations are strong, independent, and free. Here's McCain. We have got to spend more money on defense giving Oh my God. world that we've been in the last 70 years. I don't want to make 
a lecture. But at the end of World War II, we designed a new world order, the longest period of peace and prosperity in history. That is now unraveling, and I don't have to tell you all the places in the world where it's unraveling. This requires a stronger national defense, a stronger military. I mean, look at the crisis we're facing in North Korea. This is really serious. Sounds pretty similar, doesn't it? Uh, the whole thing makes me super sad. Um, because, first of all, the peace, if you think back at what was considered obvious, like to Tesla, for example, that if you have a super weapon and everybody has it, there can't be any more big wars. You just kind of like accept the borders as they are. And uh, and what's so wrong with that, really? Um, I always wonder what wars are really about. I think in the beginning they were about taking over regions so that you, your sovereign, the king, could you to collect taxes from that border farm, you know, move the border over and then you get the taxes. Now there's oil, there's, uh, you know, whatever, I guess places for people to live of the same language. But really I think it's about resources at the top and uh, control resources at the top. But they, the, when I hear those guys talking about that stuff, especially McCain talking about this thing unraveling, that's how, like, I go back to the JFK thing, and and I believe that it takes all the effort of people like John McCain to to for the world just to not default to a state of peace and prosperity. I think from technological advances and also uh, truly deterrent weapons, we we would that I think that is what JFK was talking about. We are within reach of true peace and prosperity around the world. And I think they have to work really hard to keep this archaic, what should be a defunct paradigm in place with this hierarchy. And I think they put a lot of effort into it to figure it out. And so when they talk about stuff like uh, as if we have to be the policemen of the world, we're creating the problems. So Theresa May also made a U.N. speech. And she talked about these people and they identify like Syria and Ukraine as violating the sovereignty of others or violating this principle of sovereignty, which is insane because those are the places whose sovereignty we violated and are thereby destabilizing really important areas in the world. This is such doublespeak gobbledygook, just like we, the Russian communists used to use the opposite, just Orwellian opposite words from what the truth is. That's all we hear in the news today is Orwellian opposite words. Nobody says anything that they mean. Everybody says what they don't mean. It's it's the language has gotten yeah. so twisted. Yeah, and it's and it's all it's all bullshit. So here's some opposite for you. I listened to that UN speech, which I had been absolutely tuned into because on September 15th, a few days before the speech, Nikki Haley and McMaster came out and uh, and foreshadowed the speech. They heard the speech and they said some of the stuff that was going to be in the speech. And I knew, I knew it was not good. And uh, so I was ready for it when Trump came out. When they are saying, and Theresa May was saying the exact same thing, that they need, what we need is to reform the UN to make it more efficient and effective. And that makes my blood run cold. Because these guys are talking about when the UN was founded, the guy who led the conference to found the UN in 1945 or whatever, 
maybe it was 47. They say exactly 70 years. Maybe it didn't get implemented. Oh, no, that was the Marshall Plan. Yes, I think it was 1945 in San Francisco. It was Alger Hiss, who was later convicted as being one of the communists in the State Department, but really he was just a globalist in the State Department, I think. Or maybe he was a real bona fide communist. They do say that. So his plan, what he talked about then at that launch meeting was that the UN, it had to start as a non-binding thing. The two things that, that the UN doesn't have that it's meant to have is the authority to tax, which of course is the beginning of the end. The difference between the Articles of Confederation and the Constitution is the, is the power to tax. And that's what destroyed the American experiment eight years after it started, marked the beginning of the end. But the power to tax and the power to enforce its dictates. So, so when they talk about making the UN, reforming it, making it more efficient, knowing, as I do, the original goal, and I think the continuing goal, is to have this world government. And then you have Theresa May and her speech fold in this idea of uh, we not only need to stop extremism, we need to stop ideologies that are a threat to the UN's vision, and that should be next year's big goal for the UN. They should make a priority, stopping ideologies, not extremists, not radicals, not terrorists, but ideologies that are a threat to this. So now you have where they have this world government in place. They want to stop ideologies. They want to make it more efficient, more effective. They want to, uh, Nikki Haley was positively giddy about how much more effective that she wants the blue helmets to be. These are troops on the ground sent by the UN into different countries. That uh, so when you have this world government thing and uh, and and you're stamping out competing ideologies, there is no competition among states. What if some? There's no suggestion at all that any of these ideologies are legitimate. So if you so what she's saying is we must have 100 percent faith. There's no question that the that the ideologies laid out by the UN are are correct that we're going to implement them in good faith and that we we have this good judgment. There is absolutely no room for dissent here. And that's what makes me nervous is that they're going to stamp out ideologies and uh, and unify and strengthen this world government. I mean, what, what happens when they're wrong, especially now that they're implementing surveillance states, totalitarian police states, all this kind of stuff. I mean, what is the recourse if they're, if, if they're wrong at all? And this Trump is ushering in, you know, and he's the guy who supposedly was the anti-globalist. And now look what's happening. Well, during that speech, he played the anti-globalist role, too. He does the thing where he talks out of both sides of his mouth to satisfy his base so they can latch on to, like, his comments about America. Yeah, the dog And then, yeah, and then he uh, says the stuff about, you know, needing to – He's like, we don't, we don't want to intervene in other people's countries. And then he's like, we're going to intervene in other people's countries. Well, that they did all say that. They said they all say what we they keep emphasizing: strong individual nations make this thing work. You need to have sovereignty. But then you have everyone from Nikki Haley to Trump to Theresa May to McMaster saying, if you don't do what we say, yeah, there yeah. will be hell to pay. And then Trump even says, we we are going to, out of the goodness of our hearts, that's a quote give you money to reshuffle your populations around in the Middle East. And uh, and what we don't want is to let the refugees come out because we want to put pressure on them to reform their own governments. And, and of course, what they keep talking about Syria, like that's a government, <laughs> you know, what, who, can anyone really say 
that of all the governments in the whole entire world, the, the Syrian people need to overthrow Assad. I mean, it's just not, given that their arch enemy, the Assad was always the Muslim Brotherhood. If that were explained on CNN or Fox, people might say, oh, maybe there are two sides to the story. But there's never any two sides. And they're saying, if you don't do what we say, we, we will send troops in. What do you think those blue helmets are? What is Nikki Haley talking about? What do you think the sanctions are to North Korea? They're talking about starving people. She's laughing because she was reading quotes from the North Korean press saying, we are, we are strangling them. Uh, these sanctions strangle us, you know? And you look, people look at how terrible it is in North Korea, how unprosperous it is. And you got to wonder sometimes if some of these places, they show pictures of their um, deprivations. You got to wonder sometimes how much the sanctions contribute to that, how much of it is organic, like the the implementation of socialism that Trump talked about in Venezuela. You know, how much of this stuff is tyrannical government? How much of it is implementation of socialism? How much of it is our intervention, our sanctions, our machinations behind the scenes, our corruption of their political processes? Our support of uh, one faction over another, warlords, you know, and he's talking about civil rights or human rights and all that. And uh, and actually in the same breath says that he went to Saudi Arabia to talk to countries about eradicating terrorism when Saudi Arabia, yeah. during his campaign, he talked about Saudi Arabia doing 9-11. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of like a an, abu- an abusive relationship with spouse where it's just – I'm going to give you freedom as long as you do what I say. Don't make me hurt you. Just why did you make me do that to you? Why did you make me do that to you? It's your own fault. I told you you had freedom if you just did what I said. <laughs> Don't make me laugh at stuff like that. It upsets me. That's what it's like. Yes, yes. I I, I know that is what stuff is like, but I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, it definitely is him – talking out of two sides of the mouth like this this paying lip service to sovereignty makes me absolutely crazy they're talking about yeah, uh, say it but but you're about sovereignty I, I, I said sovereignty so it well, is. what is it you know can you what do you think what do you think people think that means it's it means sovereignty okay freedom, <laughs> freedom. prosperity that was funny. He said the four pillars. I know he said the three pillars, and then he said peace, prosperity, sovereignty, and security. The fourth one's a silent pillar. <laughs> but he said three, and then he named four. But I think he just read it wrong. He's not great at the teleprompter. Yeah. And I was thinking of you because at one point he says, you know, Rocket Man's on a suicide mission, something <laughs> like that. Yeah, that and people are all over the world, since I'm out in the world, saying, Oh, he's a lunatic. He's the guy with the hand on the button. I actually thought that speech was designed to get other countries to think of him. So I think that Kim Jong-un is most likely an operative, witting or unwitting, an operative of the CIA, that he's there to make us look like we have an important reason to be in Asia. Uh, And so he acts crazy, especially uses that crazy haircut to make him look the part. And I feel like Trump, winning or unwitting, does the same thing. Like he has the haircut, he says crazy stuff on the world stage that people around the world look at and just like shake their heads. They're just like, what the hell is this guy talking about? So they act like this rocket man thing just popped out of his head while he's making this UN speech. 
But when I was watching it, I didn't go back to watch that again. But it looked to me like it was as scripted as every other thing in his speech. And then you were, I remember when you had been saying, like they keep saying scripted, unscripted, scripted, unscripted. And of course, that's so, it can look like his unscripted moments show the real truth and he's a nut job. But when you realize that that stuff is actually scripted, just like his tweets, you see that it's, that someone, somebody behind the scenes, they, they talk about how chief of staff Kelly is just frustrated beyond belief because he can't rein this guy in. He keeps going out and popping off and saying dumb stuff. But if you see that this stuff is scripted, you simply must ask the question, who's doing it? Is it just this 30-year-old speechwriter, Stephen Miller, who slips this stuff in? Nikki Haley read the speech three days or a week before it was given. So so, so she was okay with that? Did she see the rocket man? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a conspiracy here, you know? People are conspiring to have him say stuff or tweet stuff and who and why. It would have been funny if he would have got the song wrong and he would have said piano man. (laughs) Yeah, but he didn't because it was written down on the teleprompter. Yeah, I think it was definitely scripted. I think that was planned out. I think most of the, I mean, he does come off the cuff sometimes, but that was a speech that looked pretty scripted out to me. It was absolutely scripted. I mean, he was reading the teleprompters. You could see that. Now, how many times did he have an unscripted moment? I would say zero. Yeah, that was a provocation. He doesn't do anything without including a provocation in it that the media is going to focus on. That's definitely something he always Right, but who's who's writing that speech? Did he sit there in his own hand and write it the way Reagan used to and then show it to Nikki Haley to get her approval and then read it? I mean, is that really what we're thinking here? I could see him bouncing ideas around, or maybe he's having a conversation with Stephen Miller. And I can't see it behind closed doors. He says, "Oh, Rocket he... Man," and then Stephen Miller. People who write speeches for people, they try to adopt the voice of the person who's oh, doing that, it for sure. Yeah, that I know, but I don't think. Imagine how unwieldy it would have to be to talk Trump into the content of his speeches. I mean, he's not. Uh, maybe we're we we are different on this there's just no chance trump is calling the shots here well i'm not so saying i don't even think he's the shots on that. i don't I'm even think saying he's... that he makes nicknames for people and he's probably been calling him rocket man for three months yeah that's possible but i would say the content is all in there and he because he used to say he used to actually say or he said it a few times that was mine i came up with rocket man yeah you know, which makes it clear that he's not coming up with very much. You know what I mean? When he's actually pointing out the few times that he came up with it. Like the solar panel wall idea? Yeah, that was mine. It's like, okay, so we're sitting in a room and you're, you know, whatever, doing your Rubik's Cube. And, and you're just like, hey, hey, let's call him Rocket Man. They're like, okay, we'll call him Rocket Man. <laughs> and I, I'm not just saying that about Trump. I mean, I think... Obama was the same way. I mean, I, I actually think Obama probably had to work a little bit harder to just pull it off. But um, these guys aren't writing their speeches. They don't. No, have- they're not writing. Ronald Reagan. I have a book of Ronald Reagan's speeches. It's called In His Own Hand, and it's basically pages from a yellow notepad of him writing his speeches. I think he wrote his own speeches for a long time until you know whatever. You got to be pretty <sighs> gifted as a writer to be able to do that. Reagan was. With- with all the other stuff too going on, I mean, presidents are pretty. Busy. I mean, maybe he did. Yes, yes. Just... No, I I agree that as his 
eight years wore on, especially after the assassination attempt and stuff. But sir, I believe I'd have to go back and look at it. Uh, but he was, he was quite formidable back then when he was governor of California and, uh, and president of the screen actors guild, a union, his thing, he was gifted in that way. He was quite the orator. Yeah, he worked with the FBI to help them catch commies when he was head of the Screen Actors Guild. Oh, did he? Oh, was he part of the House on American Activities thing? He Black. was an informant. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. I wonder if he turned in Lucille Ball, who was a card-carrying communist. He probably turned in other actors that got roles that he wanted. Yeah, could be. Could be. All right, there was a story that happened. I know you were out of town, and you heard – I think you heard the clip, but there was a – student at Georgia Tech this week who got shot by the Georgia Tech police. And we'll hear his name in a second. But it turns out that he called the police on himself, and they found three suicide notes in his dorm room. And there's a video of the standoff, so to speak, of the police officers around him telling him to put the knife down. He had like a pocket knife, and it wasn't open. But he did call yeah. And say that he had – that the guy that had a gun. It's a real strange story. I'm going to play the he clip. He wasn't an imminent threat to anyone. Is that what you're telling me? He did not appear to be a threat in the video, and it does make you ask the question, why don't they have rubber bullets? Why aren't they using Saving another people? means to get this person down? Yeah. But they did believe that he had a gun, though, because you can tell that in this clip that we're about to play. This is the actual – this is the kid that got shot calling the police on himself. George Tech Police, how can I help you? Hey, uh, I'm over at West Village. It looks like there's, oh, there's somebody like skulking around outside. It looks like he's got, he's got a knife in his hand. I think he might have a gun on his head. Okay, West it looks, Village. It looks like he might be drunk or something. Give me a description of he, sir. Um, he's got long blonde hair, white t-shirt, jeans. Long blonde hair, white t-shirt. And jeans, okay. White male, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, at West Village, where is he? Where does he next to? He's, he's just like right across West Village, just on the sidewalk. On the sidewalk. kind of slow. Okay. You want to leave your name in case you got any more questions, sir? Uh, sure. Scott Schultz. Scott. Okay, Scott. Hey, that phone number you calling from? That's right. Okay. Thank you, Scott. We're, we're in route. All right. All right. So that was odd. Now the kid, he is – he doesn't identify as a guy or girl. He, he identifies as binary, and he was the president of some LGBT organization at Georgia Tech. He, his dad connected him with Antifa, whether it's his dad or not. I don't know. The person who said he was his dad that they interviewed talked about him and Antifa, and the next day there were protests – and the protest turned violent, and people went to the police station. They marched to the police station. They jumped on police cars, and they broke the windshield of police cars. Like I think three police officers ended up going to the hospital or something like that because they got injured from the protesters. And the one of the deans at the school came out and said that the people that he believes the people that came in and started all the violence after at the at the memorial the next day. He believes that none of them were tech students, that they were brought in specifically to agitate the situation. Wow. That to me, that was obvious as soon as the violence started because the stuff mm -hmm. that you hear about the Georgia Tech police that they were, when they were talking to students was that 
they make an effort to meet the groups around school. They pick up drunk kids and don't arrest them. They take them back to their dorms and that they try to cultivate this cooperative attitude. Now, don't get me wrong. You watch the video and, and it makes you say, why? The kid was on a suicide mission, I guess. They say he was depressed, but they could have handled that without shooting him. And they shot him in the heart is the story. Do you believe, I'm not seeing, I'm not looking at it right now. So I didn't see the picture of him getting shot. Do you think this really happened, that that exactly the way we are told it happened? So he calls the cops on himself. He says his name is Scott. It sounded like to me, although. Well, I don't know if that was him. That was... Right, but I, I'm just asking you, like, do you think that this is a real event or what? Did, did, did this kid, this actual kid, really get shot to death? You know, like, do you believe all of that stuff? I have no idea. I'm just asking you. Without further investigation. My initial uh, instinct is to say yes, is that something okay. did happen. I don't know why he would do that or agree to do it, and maybe well, I'm wrong. But shooting people in a way that looks unnecessary to you, it just seems like in this atmosphere that would be the last thing that would be happening. You know, really unlikely. Why, why, do, why do we do violent protests now? We didn't – Bush was in this war that like half the country hated, and all they did was stand on the corners – I understand they were older and these people were supposedly younger, but like the reason when you were like, I knew it wasn't Georgia Tech kids. Yeah, because, because what's the likelihood of people just getting up at a, like, I, I've got a test tomorrow, but I'm going to go get violent. You know, I mean, violence is weird. Like violence comes from a, like a real, I think from real oppression, starvation. You know what I mean? Getting real provocation total inability to access the system yeah provocateurs come into a group also yeah so they're creating violence and the result will be a crackdown on the political process whereas i would say like what happens in venezuela and spain like spain just had this thing where in catalan i believe they were they've been agitating to have a referendum to separate and to claim independence or whatever. And and the government of Spain went into the office. So the state of Catalan or whatever it is called, province or whatever, I think it's the state. The state was going to hold this referendum. And the, and the Spanish government went in and confiscated their ballots, arrested people. So now there's a political crisis. And then I think that's when you get people to be to be angry and violent because there is no political process left. They know they can't rely on that. Venezuela is like that too, I think, although we probably have something to do with that as well. But so for this to be the violence to provoke the political crackdown, if it feels a little backwards to me because I don't feel like we're desperate. Well, anytime there's a group and there's people mourning, if two or th- all you need is two or three people to get in there and start and they, they can, they will, they talk about this in this Bolshevik strategy book. The group's not going to do something on their own unless they are led by somebody. But the emotions and yes. the tension are high enough, and you send a couple provocateurs yeah. in there, and they can lead that group to cause them some violence. Now, that this guy I, might have been set up. I, I don't know. He might have been a patsy, and he might have not thought he was going to actually get shot. I, I have is, no idea. Yeah, yeah. That's always a, – that's a big one. Like, to me, I think that is a lot of times what does happen. So nobody knows. But how do you get the, a, a cop to shoot him? Unnecessarily, you know that's weird. When you find an anti cop, uh, yeah, uh, it yeah. is. The whole, the, the, it's yeah. it is what happened is odd. The result of it, in my opinion, regardless of whether it was set up 
or whatever is that it's this is another way that they are extending the polarization and simplifying the groups. You know, we talked about a few weeks ago how indivisible was broadening the definition of white nationalists of alt right because they want to be able to put anybody who disagrees with their agenda into that hate group into that hated group of people who mm-hmm. can make an enemy. This is a broadening of the definition the other way. So Right. So they really want to be able to put half and half of the people in these two extremists to make a real pervasive dialectic. Exactly. Cops don't just shoot black people. Cops shoot anybody who's oppressed. And this can fit that narrative. So the two extremes, Antifa and Nazis – I don't know if those are going to be the ultimate labels people are slapped with, but that's the feel that they're trying to get right now. They're trying to really, you know, 95% of the people are more in the middle in reality. There's very few people on those extreme ends. They're trying to get those magnets on opposite ends and just pull everybody from the middle to the polar opposite ends. So in Germany, between the wars, it was, there were communists, like Bolsheviks kind of in Germany and fascists, Mm -hmm. like those were the extreme groups. And that's, Seems to be the exact same dialectic they're trying to gin up. But I want to mention what we were talking about offline that I've noticed in Trump's UN speech, in May's UN speech, in just in now that I'm out here, I was in London for a few days reading all the London newspapers. Like every other page had a headline about gender inequality. All they're talking about is women's rights, all this kind of stuff. And it just seems 75% of the time, at least when they're talking about identity politics, they're talking about women. And I was trying to get to the bottom of it. Are they doing that to break up the family? Are they doing that to reduce the population by getting women uh, out of the home during their most fertile years uh, or getting them away from their kids so that the kids are vulnerable to kind of the government schools from an early age? A lot of reasons, I'm sure. But one, I think what you were kind of touching on that I think probably is the bigger reason is that by actually, by making the dividing line gender, you automatically get half and half. You automatically get half the population on one side, half the population on another. It uh, it addresses every single culture, country, society. Every single one of them basically has that half and half thing. And, uh, you know, it's basically 50% women or so- something close to that. And then you also have where it creates divisiveness right through the home, right down the middle, even to the point where you get, they say, I was reading something that said the more, I shouldn't even say this because it's going (laughs) to ruin people's lives. The more domestic chores a man does at home, the more likely divorce, something like that. Like, to actually create that divisiveness, we're like, honey, you have to do this, blah, 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 blah. Like, it causes real strife at home. And that is one of the things in the UN Charter is to, like, get, is to, Dean tweeted this at me, and I read the uh, a lot of it. It talked about looking at, uh, about about roles, about gender work roles. They want to eradicate traditional gender work roles. And I remember writing back, so I'm like, this is a UN goal to eradicate traditional gender work roles. And that is super divisive in the home to do that, to say, okay, you guys should fight about this. Who sweeps the floor? Yeah, they want to make the men effeminate. 
I don't even think they want to make them effeminate. I think they just want to make them not masculine. I don't think they want to make women feminine. Or, yeah, they just want to eradicate femininity. You know, femininity is not masculinity and femininity are both anathema to this movement. Think I think how, emasculate is a better word for what I was thinking. Yes, I think emasculate, yeah. But I but I feel like masculinity and femininity are so I love them. They're powerful. <laughs> you know, it's really powerful and empowering to the people. Uh I'm not talking about machismo. I'm talking about uh I I, I think the traditional roles are powerful. I think they serve a purpose in balancing a home. It's not a big deal. I just, you know, I'm not like an activist one way or the other, but by, by uh, attacking that, I think even, I think it's, it may, it, it may, may, may accentuate real fundamental insecurity. Like that's in human nature to this thing that you can, like when you come of age, when you mature, you you really identify as your gender because the hormones are just, you know, coursing through your body, creating you as this thing. And that is such an insecure time. I think that's why you have like a lot of gender confusion when they accentuate it among youth, they really have fertile ground because it's so confusing and hard to deal with just to start out with. And it can, I think it really causes mental problems. They say they suicide rates go up with, uh, Absolutely, um, mental problems. Yeah, when there's parents now, when their kid's five years old, dressing up like a girl and is a boy, and they're promoting it and trying to get the kid to do, you're going to be a girl now, and the kid decides to do it, and he's five. I mean, it's going to mess his life up because he doesn't. Yeah, I know, know a lesbian kid. couple who's doing it to their, I think three three year old girl. They should be jailed boy. for that. I mean, that, that even is, even like the super progressive people who are in the community with these people are just like i don't know man i don't think that kid has any idea what's going on it's i mean i hope they're not doing it medically i mean they're going to be encouraging him or her well the kid's three it's a girl a girl she's she's three and they she dresses like a boy i don't know what it's going to lead to it's going to lead to uh a lot of therapy when that kid gets older and this is the people, when my daughter was three, I knew them a long time ago, they went to my daughter's preschool in LA, that my daughter was three or four at the most, because that's when we moved out of there. And she she came home and told me, do you know what marriage is? And it's when two girls roll around in the bed and have fun. And I was like, I, you don't even, I'm married to your dad and you don't even know what marriage is. Something that, you know, like she could barely speak and they this thought it was important. No, it was a Montessori preschool. But they felt it was so important to indoctrinate her mind to to the politics of it. Is that what she said specifically when two girls roll yes. around in bed and yes, have fun? Yes, that's what she said. I mean, I, as I recall, like it was almost – that's a, a quote. <laughs> I know. And I was just like, why are you even talking about rolling around in the bed and having fun? You know what I mean? Like I would never talk to her about that. Yeah, that seems like an odd subject to bring up in an elementary school. It was weird that you have to go out of your way. They go out of their way to educate people on that it, stuff. It puts a whole, new, a whole new meaning to opposite day. I remember opposite day when you were in school. It, opposite <laughs> day is going to be mandated by the school today. Everybody is a girl is a boy. Everybody's a boy is a girl. Yeah, opposite day is going to be when girls dress like girls. 
and that could be so that family you know what i mean like their their girl dresses like a boy on regular day i can't believe i have to dress like a, a boy today <laughs> Ugh, gross i don't know i mean i don't mean to single out these people i feel bad it's like smack talk and i sincerely doubt they're listening to this but it's just i this is the thing can i say something i'm sorry i know we're gonna we want to hit a lot of topics but i just have to say like this is the thing. I'm a libertarian. I don't care what people do. I really don't care what people do. I don't feel like it's my job to get inside their heads and psychoanalyze them or society or human nature or any of it. I really do not. But I think that it is really regressive to take civilization and society, even Freud, who I do not care for, points out that work, productive, civilized work is a sublimation of the sex drive, that you push it down and let it come out as productive work that I was just reading an obituary of Jake LaMotta. And he said, I used to not have sex because it would make me an animal in the ring. And I would, it was very effective for me. So, so the idea that sex is now, so then I was reading an article about Germany, the elections coming up in Germany and, uh, in the first sentence of the article, it said, whatever her name was, a 38-year-old lesbian is running for whatever. And I was like, why the fuck, <laughs> you know, does who she have sex with, the defining thing about this woman who is running for high office in Germany? I, why do I need to know what you prefer to do with your private area? As the first thing about you, why is sex, sexual preference, you know, all of a sudden, or I should say we have returned to, or it's been coming for a while, that it's, it's such a dominant subject. Or why do I need to know the race of people? Why does it say, you know, the white cops shoot this white guy? Like, why does everything have to talk about gender or race or whatever? To me, this is highly regressive that we're returning to these really base, uh, superficial, and in the case of sexual activity, irrelevant to this higher thing that we're, that civilization, the state, culture, you know what I mean? I mean, I understand it's underlying everything, you know, sexuality does underlie art and all that, but, you know, it's not progressive. The progressives are the ones who are claiming this is progressive, and it's, in my opinion, highly regressive, highly uh, primitive. Yeah, but it's done in the name of equality. I think we should promote it. I'm going to start introducing myself to people. But it's not, not equality. It's completely divisive. It's talking about how people. I know. So, I'm being sarcastic. It's I totally know. Not. I know. But but that's another irony about the whole thing. It's not about. It's about separating people out based on identity, attributing to them characteristics that they or and beliefs and ideologies that have absolutely nothing to do with. Uh, you know, their privates or their skin color. I mean, why are ideology, why does it happen to be anybody who falls into an identity, a category of identity, have to be a socialist? You know, like, why is that true? Why do you have an economic philosophy associated with this identity thing? It's it's kooky, but that's the thing, the dialectic. They have to put everybody on the one side. If If white people are going to be on one side, and that's like half the population, that's put everybody else on the other side and then just tie it to economics. Why is it economic populism, uh, nationalism, economic nationalism is also 
ethnic nationalism. You know, what, when did that happen? What happened to Ron Paul's unifying message, the American message of uh, liberty and justice for all? MYOB. I'm going to start introducing myself as, hi, I'm Brad Binkley, white male, heterosexual. <laughs> nice hi, I'm straight. Yeah. <laughs> my name is Brad. Hi, I'm straight. My name is Brad. Like it's an AA thing. Like you've got to confess it. I'm proud to be straight today. <laughs> I'm going to go march. Ashamed to be straight. What about that funny video you made about how? <laughs> I'm straight. Everybody was like, you hated yourself because you were white or everybody was so funny because it was in the video of like an MTV video that's like 2016 is the worst year ever. I can't wait to the one they make at the end of this year. What do you think it's going to? I don't know. They thought 2016 was bad, though, and I can't imagine. Hey, you know, here's the thing that is bumming me out. I don't want to talk about it. I don't I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about this uh race white people what is am i white i don't know is my name white we oh did i tell you this we did a real estate transaction in atlanta recently and they delayed closing the funds that were being transferred because of our non-anglo last name it was literally what they said was the legal reason that they could delay our transaction for 24 hours they need to do a background check on us because we had a non-anglo last name that's racist. Isn't that insane? Like, I can't believe that's legal on any level. But so so am I white? Am I, you know what I mean? Like, whatever. I just don't even get it. And, uh, and I hate that I even have become comfortable throwing those words around like they mean something. I'm mostly just being ironic, you know, mostly just trying to goof around at how ridiculous it is to couch everything in those totally irrelevant terms. I mean, we're Americans. We all get up and <laughs> we're all tax slaves. So there's just yeah. to, to divide us as a way to get us to not realize that we're all a bunch of tax slaves. Soon yeah, to be. Exactly. Those terms are specifically thrown out there. They're, they're thrown out there in the name of equality and all they do is divide people. That's all they do. That's all they do. And that's the, the fact that there are those terms is the fact that that's something that are, are, is in the first paragraph of, of an article is why there was a time when you weren't allowed to say that stuff. Like, what are you, why are you calling her a lesbian? Why would you call her a lesbian? What difference does it make? Well, does it matter? Are you identifying that person's race? I mean, that was the un-PC thing to do 20 years ago. Hillary set that tone with her campaign, and she's continuing to do it by playing. She plays the woman card every chance that she can get. It's oh, oh my gosh! Theresa May said in the UN speech that Benazir Bhutto uh, was the woman who introduced her to her husband. She was the um, oh my gosh, was she the Indian prime minister candidate? I'm so stupid. I'm sorry, I can't remember. Uh, my sister just loves her. I should remember, but she was assassinated for political reasons. And <laughs> Theresa May said she was killed because she was a woman. Yeah, that's what Hillary. Says. I haven't been killed because I'm a woman. Everyone can see I'm a woman. Why did somebody kill me for being? Hey, a woman? Wait a minute. What's up with your logic? It's a lot of women around. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's like, oh, you better stay home because women are killed for being women. Okay. Good. Well, in Hillary's new book, she talks a lot about how she lost because she's a woman. That's one of the reasons that everybody hated her is because she's a woman. It has nothing to do with her history, that she's unbearable, I think intentionally unbearable to cause divide. It's because that she's a woman, and I don't know that she actually believes that. I think that she's just using that as propaganda because she knows that's what will agitate people. 
And it's so crazy because she only made it anywhere because she was the wife of somebody who made it somewhere. She even changed her name, took his name to become first lady because it was politically expedient. Yeah, she's she's she an slept her way to the top. That can be said of well, I was gonna say it could be said, Bill. I don't know if he slept his way to the top. Really? He slept his way on the way to the he slept top. around at the top. <laughs> That we know. All right. I want to talk about how the propaganda that we're seeing in entertainment and how it's just – it's ruining television. Yes, it's terrible. Yes. You can't, people, when they come home and they want to watch TV, they turn on the TV. They get preached at. They're not seeing a television drama. They're not seeing a comedy. They're not seeing a contest. They're, they're getting a, a political message that's just – it's not even fun. Like you can send yeah. a political message and, and be fun about it. Like Trump's the easiest president in the world to make fun of, yet – right. They can't – they're taking themselves and the issues so seriously that it just yeah. is terrible, and they're isolating their audience. They, like everybody doesn't agree with this extremely progressive idea that Trump and racism is just running rampant around America because it's not reality. I remember when Jon Stewart did that. Like he was super funny. I watched him even though he was liberal. I didn't care. And then yeah. Trump, like, Bush was up for re-election, and everybody hated Bush. And then he like wouldn't be funny anymore. He wouldn't even make fun of Bush because by making fun of Bush, you humanized him. So his show That's all right. of a sudden got totally stupid, and I couldn't watch it anymore. And that that to me was was a pivot point. That's what this is right here. I'm going to play you a clip from Jimmy Kimmel show. Now the specific subject he's talking about is healthcare. He's been given the task of healthcare propagandist because his son had a heart procedure when he was born. And so this is kind of like Stephen Colbert's the Russia guy and Kimmel is the the healthcare guy. Every time healthcare comes around, Kimmel politicizes his son. And this is his opening monologue from two nights ago. It, this is a comedy show, keep in mind. And, and this is his opening monologue. Oh, it's going to be so painful for me to listen to. Do I really have to listen to this painfully? Yes. I do, right? <laughs> I hate it. It hurts me. <laughs> Go. Okay. You guys are going to find this hard to believe, but a few months ago, after my son had open heart surgery, which was something I spoke about on the air, a politician, a senator named Bill Cassidy from Louisiana, was on my show, and he wasn't very honest. It seemed like he was being honest. He got a lot of credit and attention for coming off like a rare, reasonable voice in the Republican Party when it came to health care, for coming up with something he called, and I didn't name it this. He named it this, he, the Jimmy Kimmel test, which was, in a nutshell, no family should be denied medical care, emergency or otherwise, because they can't afford it. He agreed to that. He said he would only support a health care bill that made sure a child like mine would get the health coverage he needs no matter how much money his parents make. And that did not uh, have uh, annual or lifetime caps. These insurance companies, they want caps to limit how much they can pay out. So, for instance, if your son has to have three open-heart surgeries, it can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars a piece. If he hits his lifetime cap of, let's say, a million dollars, the rest of his life, he's on his own. Now, our current plan protects Americans from these caps and prevents insurance providers from jacking up the rates for people who have pre-existing conditions uh, of all types. And Senator Cassidy said his plan would do that, too. He said all this on television many times. So last week, Bill Cassidy and Senator Lindsey, Lindsey Graham proposed a new bill, the Graham-Cassidy bill, and this new bill actually does pass the Jimmy Kimmel test, but um, uh, a different Jimmy Kimmel test. With this one, your child with a pre-existing condition will get the care he needs, 
if and only if his father is Jimmy Kimmel. Otherwise, you might be screwed. Now, I don't know what happened to Bill Cassidy, but when he was on this publicity tour, he listed his demands for a health care bill very clearly. These were his words. He said he wants coverage for all, no discrimination based on pre-existing conditions, lower premiums for middle-class families, and no lifetime caps. And guess what? The new bill does none of those things. Coverage for all? No. In fact, it'll kick about 30 million Americans off insurance. Okay, that was like a two-minute clip. How how many laughs per minute is he getting? This is a comedy show. This is an opening monologue. You're supposed to be tight. You're supposed to have uh, a punchline every 15, 30 seconds. That was just... (laughs) That, that was just preaching. I mean, oh. let me go home. I had a long, hard day at work, kicked my shoes off, put my feet up, and watched Jimmy Kimmel bitch about health care and talk about his child's get open tricked. heart surgery. Get tricked into it. Right. That was two minutes right there. It felt like about four. That went on for another six minutes. No. And, yeah, and then it ended with this. This was this was his entire monologue, and it ended with this. This is about a minute and a half. This is, this is even worse, in my opinion. And by the way, before you post the nasty Facebook message saying I'm politicizing my son's health problems, I want you to know I am politicizing my son's health problems because I have to. But... My... Fuck Trump. My family has health insurance. We don't have to worry about this, but other people do. So you can shove your disgusting comments where your doctor won't be giving you a prostate exam once they take your health care benefits away. It's true. It's unbelievable. Somehow Japan and England and Canada and Germany, France, they all figured health care out. And don't say they have terrible health care because <laughs> it's do. just not true. This is a bad bill. But don't take my word for it. Here are just some of the organizations. That Here is a logical fallacy. Bill. The American right. Cancer Society. The American Diabetes Association, American Heart Association, American Lung they Association, all rely on illness. the Arthritis Foundation, Cystic Fibrosis, the ALS Association, the March of Dimes, Multiple Sclerosis Society, Children's Hospital of LA. Basically, any group you've ever given money to thinks this is a bad idea. Do you trust them or do you trust him? Okay. They showed a funny picture of the guy. That was his closer. That's what he those, those organizations would not exist if any of those diseases were cured, first of all. Yeah, and half of them probably rip people off and don't give the money to the kids anyway. I'd have to look them up. Oh, yeah. I don't no, I don't know about that. Yeah, but yeah, that's Eight. very common. Also, I just – I can't stand Jimmy Kimmel being the good guy because he le- left his wife for Sarah Silverman. And now this other – you know, this is another – woman and the baby. I think he had a baby with the first wife. You know what I mean? I think he left. Yeah. I just that he's not he's not my family man hero. I don't want to hear it. And and he doesn't care. He's obviously doing this for political reasons. I have to. And, I'm politicizing my son's health care because I have to. Why? Because you're you're getting kicked off your insurance. Right. And I know a lot of comedians and none of them are experts on health care. None of them read the health care bill before every senator and, and congressperson <laughs> right. does and becomes an expert on it overnight. He doesn't know shit about health care, and he's preaching this stuff like he knows everything. And I would like to – I I, I want to just get to a fundamental for a second here. This guy, Jimmy Kimmel, makes millions of dollars, millions, 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 millions. Uh, presumably, if no matter what it costs to get his son's heart fixed, he would pay it because he produces that much. Are we in a position – where I remember it was like at the Grammys a couple of years ago, I think, where uh, Stevie Wonder, my favorite preacher, said, kidding, said, I can't wait for, let's work for a world where everyone can have everything. <laughs> that was his thing. 
So are we in a world where everyone can have everything? So if it costs $6 billion to save one life, and it's a very poor person in the backwoods of India, is that something that, that, that we should do? Or is it a, a reality, a realistic necessity that on average, a person's health care cannot, a person's consumption in a lifetime of food, clothing, shelter, health care, whatever, cannot exceed the average person's production of whatever goods that can be equated to food, shelter, whatever. You know, you understand the fundamental I'm trying to get to is that it's not just this, this, there isn't, there aren't unlimited resources. And this guy, Senator Cassidy has his hand on the valve and he's like, I could just open this valve. And then everyone would have a healthcare. Everyone would have everything. Yeah. Everyone would like, have like I said, you're saying, I hate kids. He hates kids so yeah, bad. So he like, writes there's a diary. Un- yeah. There's unlimited resources up there, but they won't release them to you. Because he's a Republican, and you know they're evil motherfuckers. Right. Know? Right. Yeah, I don't know anything about the bill, but the whole premise is just like you said. They're only not doing it because they're evil and they're liars, and we can save all of them. It's just such bullshit. If there were these unlimited resources, then we could have – we probably could have mechanisms set up that where private organizations and individuals that have enough money would help like they do help sometimes if it weren't for the government stepping in for the purposes of extending control over society because that's the only reason that they do all this shit. They don't do I it. actually think that the illnesses are – I think it's kind of like what I was saying earlier about peace and prosperity in the world and having weapons of deterrent and technologies that could feed everybody. I'm increasingly convinced that they know more about what causes health problems than once, once the government starts paying for all the research and pays for all the universities and and all that, you really can't trust any of the research anymore to not be tainted by the self-interest or the, the fundamental philosophy of central control, control at the top, whatever. So so you know, I don't think we know the truth about yeah. about preventive medicine, about I mean, what the chemicals in our food and all that. Like I think that we could be healthier, but it's really in their interest to make us not healthy. And that all those companies, all those foundations that rely on the existence, every single person who works there relies on these diseases getting worse. I mean, well, I'm not. I'm not saying, what's that? The second biggest industry in the what, world. What is pharmaceutical? And and I don't know, but it's up there. And it and it was created, if I'm not mistaken, uh, as a way to use the byproducts of petroleum production. Like chemicals are a lot often petroleum based. Yeah. And the Rockefellers used that. Gasoline was a byproduct of petroleum, which is like impossible to even get my mind around, since it seems like the only the, the main product. But that they yeah they call it Rockefeller medicine. They changed it from homeopathic, holistic, whatever, uh, to allopathic treat the symptoms use drugs if you look at the american medical association how all that stuff has evolved it they i had a good friend who was a doctor who went i think to harvard or stanford and uh, or both and um i asked her something about nutrition she said i have we didn't learn about nutrition and then a couple of years later she's like oh we don't drink diet coke anymore because i found out it like metabolizes into formaldehyde in your body and that's bad for you and i was like yeah but 
why did you default to thinking it was good for you? You well, know, that's the thing. pharmaceutical. That's what they teach him. They don't teach him the. Yeah, they teach him not to be afraid. And I've said that to doctors. I'm like, oh, you know, this drug is connected to that illness. And I mean, they shut you up. Shut up. It's like, no, but you're you're reading the internet too much. Hey, quote, mom, leave the doctoring to me. I mean, it happens all the time. I told my my children have each have 48 vaccines, if I'm not mistaken. I think I counted it. They wanted to give Gardasil to my daughter, which has been associated, I think, in Japan with fertility problems. So I said, I'm not doing Gardasil. It hasn't been around long enough. And the guy starts explaining to me how how superstitions work. <laughs> It's like, how super sick? You think I'm afraid of this? Would you please look at my children's records? I'm not afraid of it just popping out of the sky. There's a, I have no idea whether, you know, don't you think about this stuff? Uh, so I'm starting to think that there's a good, you know, the chicken pox vaccine is the thing that really got me. Chicken pox doesn't kill you. And the chicken pox vaccine does not protect you as an adult when chicken pox is much worse to get. And there is one theory, if not uh, in evidence, that childhood fevers help protect from cancer. So as you suppress childhood illnesses, non-fatal childhood illnesses, you might get higher instances of cancer. And like millennials are getting colorectal cancer at an unprecedented rate. I personally think it might be related to Accutane, which caused IBS, which leads to colon cancer. But it also could be the pervasion of vaccines that prevented them from developing the secondary immune system. I don't really know, you know, the, the science of it, but what I'm saying is if my government is taking my money and investing it all in the research that is supposed to inform me on this and I don't know it, I can't trust them to make my own decision. I really do not know if my behaviors and what they are telling me are the wisdom and the healthcare is uh, actually making me sicker. Because when they talk about health insurance, they don't ever talk about health outcomes. They never talk about health care. And what Ch Jimmy Kimmel was saying about people should not be denied emergency care regardless, they are not. That is one thing my doctor friend did say. You are never, ever denied. And that is true. And I, I've never known anyone to be denied. I've known illegal immigrants to get open heart surgery, to get amputation, uh, to get tons and tons of Healthcare, no questions asked. I do know people go bankrupt from health bills. I do know that. But but part of that is the extremely it's high keep people in debt too. Yeah, the extremely high cost of healthcare, which is a function of this uh, excessive demand, mm. which happens, hyperinflation happens in any subsidized industry from education to healthcare to housing. All right, cool. I got a couple more clips I wanna go. We got a little bit of time left, so I'm gonna move through these fairly quick. This is another example. If you're watching Kimmel and you're like, oh, my gosh, I don't, I, I don't want to think about health care. I've been at work all day. Let me switch it over to Colbert. Maybe he's not talking politics tonight. Let's see who his guest is. I am not going anywhere. Well, <laughs> Please go somewhere. Let me stop this and say. Sorry. <laughs> when he brought her out. Yeah. Colbert led a standing ovation. She sat down next to his desk and he did not sit. He looked at the crowd to signal, keep standing. And he gave her a standing ovation and the crowd stood back up and it looked, he looked like a pussy standing next to her, giving her a standing ovation. Like when, an ass kisser or yeah. like a weak person. 
and a weak person, just like an athlete. Like she's totally dominates and controls it. I mean, you don't do that for anybody else. Why does she? Why does she get a standing ovation? And people fall for it, right? Yeah, they stood up too and started clapping. All right. So, uh, do you remember when I I told you that Hillary, when she was reading that that excerpt from her book, that she was signaling people to take action? The Indivisible Group. What would you do? I wish I had done something. Oh yeah, I remember that. This is the same thing. Colbert has obviously been prompted to do this. He is giving a call to action to the resistance in this clip right here. So our intelligence community and others have said that he did have a personal grudge against me. You know, I don't take it personally. I think it's part of his worldview, which is all tied up with his um, anger, his disappointment. <laughs> uh, this is the wrong clip. We'll listen to it. And Sorry, I like it, though. We're his number one rival. He wants to really undermine the European. Oh, I wanted to hear it. I love that psychoanalysis. Bull. Uh, I was honored to do my job to stand up and speak out on behalf of American values and our democracy. And partly because I'm a woman, which does seem to get him a bit agitated. <laughs> he <laughs> intervened in our election because he hates women. Oh my gosh. That's the funny thing. She's like, I don't take it personally, but he does because he has anger and his ego issues and he's misogynist. It's like, you know, she's psychoanalyzing him, but I don't take it personally or anything. Right. But yeah. That's <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Sounds yeah. like you're taking it personally. This is the clip I was talking about before. I am not going anywhere. Uh, <laughs> They love it. it. At first, I could understand some of those calls. People saying, like, well, the Republicans are tearing themselves apart. Don't give them, you know, someone to rally around in opposition to because you are a convenient uh, figure for them to right. unite against. But I actually do not think that's how uh, what is happening to our government is going to be stopped. I think it's people who are willing to be civically engaged and believe in that word. progress for the last 50 years that will save this country. I thank agree you so completely. much for not going Absolutely. Completely. But wait a second. It must not have been easy. No. It must not have been easy to write this book. It, it wasn't easy. I mean, it was... <laughs> this asshole was following me around, you no. know, trying to talk to me. Candid, open as I could be about the mistakes I made and talking about those, but also trying to come to grips, as I write in the book, about everything from you know, sexism and misogyny to voter suppression uh, to the unusual behavior of the former director of the FBI and the Russians and the Russians. And you have about herself sounding the alarm about this because well, she's a woman. I her, so yeah. strongly that they think they succeeded in messing with our democracy, and I just can't abide that. So, do you think they succeeded in messing? With yes, I democracy? do. I do. Did she ever say that you know anything that she might have done to contribute? This world hates women. Right. I shouldn't have been a woman. If only I weren't a woman. And that's that what he was saying. Word. He was saying people thought Democrats thought that we should not run you because you're a woman, and so many people hate women. That's what he started by saying. Did you catch what he was saying? Maybe oh, yeah. you can take a chance and put women out there because everyone hates them. It's everyone just hates so them. I mean, of all things, of all identities, not to just arbitrarily hate, it's the identity that your mother, your wife, and your daughter all share. 
You know yeah, what I, I mean? Who yeah. doesn't have a woman? I mean, how many guys really wake up in the morning and just think? Just look at their wife. I hate women. You know, I hate women. Yeah, like I, I could never work for a woman. I don't care. That's why I'm a trucker because <laughs> I yeah. can't work for Now that may actually <laughs> – I'm glad my brother doesn't listen to this podcast. It is quite possible that he is a trucker because he doesn't. But it's working for anyone is no fun. You need to be more civically engaged. Pay attention to that. They use that all the time. They've been using it the past few months. And this is the, when you hear that term, that's a phrase that they're using to signal the resistance. It's a trigger word for them. Now, here's the last clip. One of the things that happened is, uh, it, as you said, is that it's clear the Russians are trying to influence our election. Clear. Said, Everybody knows. NPR. That if it's proven, if there is a deeper connection, some sort of collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia, that would be grounds to question the legitimacy of the election of the president. Yeah. My question question is, I mean, I have these fantasies, but my question is, seriously, my question is, well, well, what then? There is no constitutional mechanism to question the election. Our elections are messy. That's right. This is just what happened. So, as I say in the book, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, nobody's talking about contesting the election. But I do think, no, because no, no. there is no mechanism. No, this is someone who believes in the Constitution, yeah. unlike the guy who got the job. Yeah, there is no That's hilarious. Why, why doesn't the guy who got the job believe in the Constitution? What is he talking about? Legitimacy is rooted in what comes out of these investigations. Because if there is evidence of coordination, communication, whatever it might be, then I think millions of Americans are going to say, well, those raise questions about legitimacy. Now, what do you do with those questions besides ask them? What you do is mobilize politically to express your will and your rejection of that kind of Russian involvement and coordination at the ballot box. I mean, that is where we settle our political differences, and that's where it should be. But didn't she just say the ballot box was compromised effectively by the way Russia hijacked media? Yeah, she did. She didn't get to it in this interview, but in all the other interviews she's been doing, in this same conversation that she has with everybody else, she talks about how the electoral system needs to, you know, needs to be gone. I, I have to first just say uh, that could be what this has all been leading up to, but there have been legitimacy issues raised for the longest time first well now clinton was impeached so i would say that was a transition period of the legitimacy question bush had the hanging chad and he had voter fraud uh voter manipulation in ohio the second one so george w bush has you could question the legitimacy of both of his elections then Obama has the birther thing and the acorn stuff. So there was legitimacy questions there. But the real clincher to me was when Ted Cruz was doing well. And this kind of goes to where possibly they, although I do think they manipulate all this stuff, they do let maybe the tide of public opinion make something break one way or the other. Ted Cruz was a freaking Canadian and his parents were both Canadian and not dual citizens when he was born in Canada. So for me, I'm not trying to be like, oh, you're a Ted Cruz birther. I don't care. I'm just saying there, it was clear to me that guy was going to have legitimacy problems if he won. And now with Trump, it's, you know, another foreign interference thing. That's what it it comes down to. Uh, This legitimacy issue is leading somewhere. 
And I think it's federalization, like you said. Maybe it's always been, I mean, it's not that long a plan, 17 years since the 2000 election. That's not that long a plan to make major change like this. So I wouldn't be surprised. And of course, federalizing elections. They're like, it's not in the Constitution. It's like, that's correct. It's not in the Constitution because the Constitution is meant to protect states' rights. And the states get to decide who they send, who the electors are, and how they want to determine federal elections. It is it is California's right in a way. I mean, it's not a constitutional right. It's not in the Constitution. But if California wants to send 4 million, quote, illegals to the ballot box, and they're like, we think anyone who lives here should be able to vote, we don't care about their citizenship. Yes, you might have an argument against them, but there's also an argument to say the states get to decide. And if those people who live in California want to give, I want to dilute their vote by sharing it with their neighbors who do not have legal status, that's just how states write. That's one of the things that's reserved to the states, how they want to elect people. I mean, I, I would have to study it a little more carefully to decide how I really came out on how that stuff should be adjudicated. But it's not in the Constitution because the states, it's just like the way the senators were originally chosen by the state legislators. It wasn't popular. It wasn't meant to be popular. It was meant to give the states power. All right. I have one more saying, all right, you're done with Colbert. I don't want to watch Colbert. I don't want to see Hillary talking about Russia. You know what? I want to blow off some steam and just watch some pretty ladies do some talented. I want to watch Miss America. Sure. This isn't going to be politicized. Let me switch it over to there. 195 countries signed the Paris Agreement. The U.S. is withdrawing from the agreement. Bad decision? Is it and why? I do believe it's a bad decision. There is evidence that climate change is existing. So whether you believe it or not, we need to be at that table. And I think it's just a bad decision on behalf of the United States. Last month, a demonstration of neo-Nazis, white supremacists, <laughs> in Charlottesville, Virginia, turned violent and a counter-protester was killed. The president said there was shared blame with, quote, very fine people on both sides. Were there? I think that the white supremacist issue, it was very obvious that it was a terrorist attack. And I think that President Donald Trump should have made a statement earlier addressing the fact and making sure all Americans feel safe in this country. That is the number one issue. the only answer you could give. Multiple investigations into whether Trump's campaign colluded with Russia on the election. OMF. Gosh. Information has been revealed. We are cons- we are still investigating this, and I think we should investigate it to its fullest extent. And if we do find the evidence that they have had collusion with Russia, then they should uh, the justice system should do their due diligence, and they should be punished accordingly. That's the Miss America pageant. How do you answer that question? How do you, how, what if somebody said, "No, I think there was violence on both sides." They would have strung that person up right there on the stage. What if she said, you know, I think the political issue of our day is to restore the Fourth Amendment? He would have pegged her with tomatoes. Totally. <laughs> tarred and feathered her. I mean, these are questions you have to, if you want to win the competition, you, you have, have to. You have to answer just that way? The, the way. I mean, what is next? We're going to have best in show. They're going to bring out a, a Trump dummy, and if your dog doesn't attack it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We were watching the, uh, the, was it the Westminster or whatever, one of the dog shows. And my son, who has Down syndrome, he just loves animals, loves dogs. So we were watching it. And I think it was a Pekingese. It has really, really, really long hair, kind of reddish hair. And it's just teeny tiny. And it walks. It looks like Cousin It. 
<laughs> and uh, and oh my gosh, my son said, "Oh, that dog looks like Donald Trump." <laughs> I was like, I guess because of the comb over, or whatever. And so, yes, my son managed to politicize the dog show. That's <laughs> and, we, and the dog that's did great. make it quite far. And uh, that's what my husband was like, oh, my gosh, is that dog going to win because he looks like Donald Trump? <laughs> but even that boxing thing where the, the chick judge, nobody ever talked about the guy judge who said it was a tie. The chick judge, I mean, it was politics. It was a way to just bring in, it, it reminded me of that Demore letter, the ridiculously, obviously orchestrated Google letter. The guy who has a good job at Google writes a 10 page yeah, yeah. scientific inquiry into how women are in fact inferior in tech and <laughs> sends it around to his coworkers. I mean, never, never, that would never happen. Uh, but it, it lays the groundwork, you know, that kind of putting that stuff in the background, uh, you know, it's politics. It's politics used for various purposes. It's used Absolutely. to excuse things, you know, and it's just. Okay. All right. I want to run through these clips because we got to do this today because okay. uh, it just happened last night. This is going to be another like a tech news segment, how our technology is strangling society. Yes. Zuckerberg came out not that way. He did a video where he announced how Facebook was going to combat the Russian interference because Russia, apparently Facebook sold them a whole bunch of ads, thousands of ads. We know nothing of the content of them. Yet yeah. Have we seen any of these ads? Did you see them? No, we haven't seen them and we're not going to, you know, because if we showed you, we wouldn't be able to lie later. <laughs> right. Now he, We don't know how this narrative is going to evolve. So you have to watch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you have to watch the video. You got to watch the one that CNN linked because the other ones edited that part out. But the video on CNN's website starts with his eyes closed like he is a robot in the off position. And then when the camera rolls, somebody no. turns it on and his eyes open like he's uh, – uh, what's the one on Star Trek? What's his name? Data. Data makes Zuckerberg look like uh, a first Phoenix. model. Android. It's horrible. Oh, okay. Now he gives his nine points on what they're going to do to fight Russian interference and foreign interference – on Facebook. I care deeply about the democratic process and protecting its integrity. Deeply. Facebook's mission is all about giving people a voice and bringing people closer together. Those are democratic values and we're proud of them. I don't want anyone to use our tools to undermine democracy. That's not what we stand for. The integrity of our elections is fundamental to democracy around the world. That's why we built teams dedicated to working on election integrity and preventing governments from interfering in the elections of other nations. And as we've shared before, our teams have found and shut down thousands of fake accounts that could be attempting to influence elections in many other countries, including recently in the French elections. What caught my attention about that clip to begin with was when he said, the integrity of our elections are important to democracy, not just here, but around the world. Mm-hmm. So that's because they need to maintain the illusion that democracy or, or the democratic republic. They don't even say – they don't even tell you what it really is. They just keep saying democracy. Mm -hmm. I will also say – he said this about France. I don't want to steal your thunder, but did you – do you have a clip where he addresses Germany? Are you going to say that or can oh, I say yeah. it now? Yeah, yeah. He, he addresses Germany in one of these. I, I don't know which one it is, but I do have that one clipped. I'm just going to uh, play him one by one. 
Are we going to play them all? Because I'll tell you then after. Yeah, I'm going to play them all. They're, I, got, I cut them short to where he just says the main points. Okay. So here's the next one. First, we are actively working with the U.S. government on its ongoing investigations into Russian interference. We've been investigating this for many months now, and for a while we had found no evidence of fake accounts linked to Russian, uh, linked to Russia running ads. And when we recently uncovered this activity, we provided that information to the special counsel. We also briefed Congress. And this morning, I directed our team to provide the ads we've found to Congress as well. Now, as a general rule, we're going to be limited in what we can discuss publicly about ongoing law enforcement investigations. So we may not always be able to share all of our findings publicly. But we support Congress in deciding how to best use this information to inform the public and we expect the government to publish its findings when their investigation is complete. He said that we, we trust Congress to, you know, to use the information that's to the best of their ability. So he's yes. not saying we trust Congress to tell the truth with it. He's saying we trust them to use it to fit their narrative. He, he chose his words very specifically. We're going to trust but, them. Yes, they do that. It's just like the healthcare thing. They talk about health insurance. They never talk about health. But Hillary, I don't know if you caught this, but one of the clips you played earlier of Hillary on Colbert, she was saying, we're not going to question the legitimacy of the election. We don't want a re-election or anything like that. What we want is to uh, react to the outcome of the investigations. Right, exactly. Yeah, they, they want to so keep it to where— he's saying the same thing. He said, we yep. gave this to Mueller. Or Mueller, and she's saying the same thing, and that's where it's going to come from. If they had damning information, we'd know about it. Um, yeah, but I don't know because those people, Hillary and Zuckerberg, just set us up to get uh, to be triggered when this investigation comes up with whatever is going to be the blockbuster. Oh, right. They might introduce something that ends up seeming that way, but if it was legitimate. Is my oh, I don't think it's going to be legitimate, but I'm just saying I think there's another shoe going to drop, and they're setting us up for it. I agree. Finally, we've been working to ensure the integrity of the German elections this weekend, from taking action against thousands of fake accounts to partnering with public authorities like the Federal Office for Information Security to sharing security practices with the candidates and parties. We're also examining the activity of accounts we've removed, and we have not yet found a similar type of of interference effort in Germany. Now, this is incredibly important, and we've been focused on this for a while. I have two things for you. Go ahead. Uh, they, he emphasizes over and over and over again, as is everyone in mainstream media, the, all the memes on both sides, left and right, is the importance of Congress and other governmental institutions to take the lead in how we manage the internet for our own a democratic process to have any kind of liberty i.e democracy we need to trust our government institutions to sort through all this but he said this thing about germany they didn't see any of this kind of interference in germany like they did in france which is pretty weird because germany is much more important to russia than france is oh so interesting so why would they not be That's doing that because Facebook tightened up their controls. Facebook Maybe. stopped it. Maybe, but they they were saying they, they just didn't even detect it. Maybe. Yeah. 
I, I think he's setting it up to say that we we're trying these new programs over here. Yeah. It's probably going to end up being because they talked about uh, Theresa May saying how she's demanding. She was demanding that Facebook remove extremist content in less than two hours after it's been up or something like that. So stricter monitoring, which he talks about here in a second. Yes. Uh, I'm guessing they – clamped down over there and they're going to say see how effective this was we prevented russia who really wanted yeah in her speech she said we don't only want to remove it after it's up there we want to get ahead of it and stamp out the ideology zuckerberg said the opposite he said we don't want we don't want to get ahead of it we want to there to be consequences for people who do the wrong thing which is which is the american way you should always have consequences. You don't limit people's liberty. You just punish violations. That way, it's there's no such thing as pre-crime. There's no such thing as, you know what I mean? Like, you can't. But uh, but what I guess what you're saying, and maybe this is what's going to come of it, is that he's going to say, see, because we instituted these sharing practices, sharing our information, cooperating with government, trusting government, um, right. censoring Germany came out unscathed. So now we know this is an effective and trustworthy process. Here's a, a clip about him talking about the threat sharing. Seventh, we will increase sharing of threat information with other technology and security companies. We already share information on bad actors on the internet through programs like Threat Exchange. And now we're going to explore ways that we can share more information about anyone in, attempting to interfere with elections. Now, it's important that tech companies collaborate on this because it is almost certain that any actor trying to misuse Facebook will also be trying to abuse other Internet platforms, too. You might remember that during the Ossoff Karen Handel campaign, I posted a link from the Georgia Secretary of State website of an official corporation, the information about who um, you know filed it from the – Secretary of State's website, and it got removed for for being fake because someone flagged it. So, am am I going to be? Is my information going to be shared with this threat because I was a bad actor? Because I that's interesting. Because you and me and Ron Paul and so many others have been demonetized on YouTube based on trigger words. So it's not. It's 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 real censorship. It's censorship based on content. Right. And to that, to that point, listen to this clip. Eighth, we are working proactively to strengthen the democratic process. Beyond pushing back against threats, we will also create more services to protect our community while engaging in political discourse. For example, we're looking at adapting our anti-bullying systems to protect against political harassment as well. And we're scaling our ballot information tools to help more people understand the issues. I mean, Melania is on the anti-bullying thing. She just did a speech about it the other day. She launched it before the election even. So, and I flagged that. I was like, why is she launching an anti-bullying campaign? She's about to lose. She's not going to be relevant. But there she was. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the that's the whole thing here. That's the con is the anti-bullying. They're not going to define it. They're not going to give clear standards. Yeah. They're going to do like YouTube does, and they're going to judge as they go based on the people they want to silence, based on people who provide information that doesn't – that threatens their narrative. That, that's well, it goes, that's narrative. Yeah, it goes along with the, it, it, Theresa May's 
tone and her UN speech, super boring, whatever. There was actually an article in the UK newspaper I was reading about how boring it was. Why can't we have someone who makes good speeches? But but the point of the boringness, what in my opinion, was, you know, it was hand in hand with saying we need to eradicate these ideologies before they become extremist, radical, whatever. We need to all rally around the values that have been enshrined in the UN that if they're if it's that you get if people if you're in an insane insane asylum and you're not insane i think you will go crazy you know what i mean you'll not like go crazy but you'll start screaming and yelling and banging on the windows like get me out of here so when the un and donald trump tells me that he's going to drain the swamp but strengthen the un it makes me want to scream so where am i going to scream like how am i going to get people's attention if bullying, I think they're going to define it as simply frustrated, you know, like they, the, the whole thing behind Liberty on the Rocks, it was like hearkening back to our founder's tradition of basically banging the table in pubs, you know, fiery political speeches. This takes the fire out and who has the fire? The irate minority has the fire. Sixth, we will expand our partnerships with election commissions around the world. We already work with electoral commissions in many countries to help people register to vote and to learn about the issues. And we're going to keep doing that. And now we're also going to establish a channel to inform election commissions of the online risks that we've identified in their specific elections. So okay, who's to say thing. that's not going to be abused also? I mean, that's the thing. All these people say, well, Facebook's going to control it. The tech companies are going to control it. The governments of the good guys are going to control it. Who's to say there's no competition? There's no scrutiny. There's no, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is just totalitarianism. I, I know. And you know why he gets away with it, this this stuff right here it is because he talks like this. And, and we're going to do this for the Democratic Party. Oh, yeah. What if Steve Bannon were reading the exact speech that Zuckerberg is reading? We could go at, we could go ask people on the street. We could say, Steve Bannon recently said this. Said, yes. Words, and people would go, oh. Fascist. Fourth. We will strengthen our own ad review process for political ads. Now, to be clear, it has always been against our policies to use any of our tools in a way that breaks the law. And we have many controls already in place to prevent this. But we can do more. Most ads are bought programmatically through our apps and website without an advertiser ever speaking to someone at Facebook. And that's what happened here. But even without our employees directly involved in the sales, we can do better. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that we're going to catch all bad content in our system. We don't check what people say before they say it. And frankly, I don't think society should want us to. Freedom means you don't have to ask for permission first. And that by default, you can say what you want. And if you break our community standards or you break the law, then you're going to face consequences afterwards. We won't catch everyone immediately, but we can make it harder to try to interfere. That was complete contradictory because he was saying... People aren't going to talk to you. They're not going to screen it. It's going to be algorithms that are going to screen this. Mm -hmm. But we're not going to screen you before you put anything on there. That's no. just if you break the law, though, you know, he's going to put you in a Facebook. Yeah, what does that mean, break the law? What is breaking the law? I, I know this, this whole thing is vague, and there's nothing concrete about it. I really don't understand because foreign governments influence our politics – through their lobbying efforts, through their money, 
through their control of the press. I mean, Rupert Murdoch is not, I mean, maybe has American citizenship, but he's Australian and English. So I, I don't know what is the law he's talking about. Yeah, and Facebook's global. Is he talking about international? Is he talking about national? Yeah, sure. Are we? Are you only allowed to have? Are you going to put up firewalls um, between borders? Are people? When you listen to people from other countries, they often act like it's so weird that they say here or us talking about the United States when they're not here. Like they think of our president as being in a way their president because he's so powerful, like the leader of the free world. You know what I'm saying? So they feel like they should have a role in the dialogue. And when Obama was running, I mean, every media outlet played songs they were singing in Ireland and, you know, uh, cheers at the Berlin Wall. Like, oh, there were all these foreign uh, people were celebrating the fact that he was finally bringing foreigners in on our side after our belligerence from the prior eight years. (laughs) This is the last one. What I like about this one is at one point, I don't know exactly how he words it, but he basically says that this is the biggest effort that's ever been ever at a minimum. At a minimum, this is the the most (laughs) – Biggest ever. How could it be bigger than that? That's like something Trump would say. And we organized get-out-the-vote efforts that helped as many as 2 million people register to vote who might not have voted otherwise. Many of these dynamics were new in this election. And at a much larger scale than had ever been seen before in history, at a minimum. And they were much larger in scale than any of the interference that we have found. But we are in a new world. It is a new challenge for internet communities to have to deal with nation states attempting to subvert elections. But if that's what we must do, then we are committed to rising to the occasion. Our sophistication in handling these threats is growing and improving quickly. We will continue working with the government to understand the full extent of Russian interference, and we will do our part, not only to ensure the integrity of free and fair elections around the world, but also to give everyone a voice and to be a force for good and democracy everywhere. Oh, thank you, Mark Zuckerberg. So we're in a brave new world. Everyone has a voice? No, not if you censor them. And it is not new that foreign governments try to interfere in elections. I mean, I personally think Alexander Hamilton was a British agent. (laughs) So I don't see it working. You know what I'm saying? This is not a new idea. People think that didn't somebody call into our show saying that Russia played a a heavy hand in the civil war. Oh yeah. Lots of several countries did some back. It was definitely England. I don't know about Russia. They might Russia have also. did Russia, but I think it was I think it was open. I think it was above board Russia's involvement. Right. It's just like Russia was involved in the Civil War. But um yeah, there always been there's always been foreign spies. That's why you can't have a foreign president. It was it was it was simply about foreign interference in US uh presidential politics. Yeah. Okay, we got to wrap it up. I think we've been going a while. Uh, a quick headline that I think is pretty funny. I didn't read too deeply into the story, but the headline was that FEMA in Florida, they mistakenly tweeted out, they were trying to tweet out a phone number to help people whose roofs have been blown off. And instead of tweeting out the, the right phone number, they accidentally tweeted out a number to a sex line. And- no, that's not an accident. Somebody did that on purpose. You're probably right. I'm sure they did. But it's still pretty funny. Can you imagine that somebody calling in, their their roof is blown off, they're stranded, they're like, oh, hello. 
Tell me more about your roof. <laughs> what do you what mean you blown off? Ah, <laughs> oh, that's sad. Why does it, see? That's what I'm saying. Everything's about sex. I I just feel like that's <laughs> right. It's not that interesting. You know what I mean? If you're not actually doing it, it should not dominate all our thoughts and our media and everything else. All right. Now you are talking to someone who watches food TV, so I guess I've got my own porn work. They they try to force politics on you? No, but I'm watching people cooking and eating, and I'm not actually eating, and then I talk about it (laughs) afterwards. Boy, that looked good. And on that note... Yes. Yes. Thank you very much for staying up all night to do this podcast. I am sacrificing my trip to the Viking Museum. I might still try oh. to get out to the Viking Museum, maybe. Uh, it's a lovely city, though, and um, here in Stockholm. Thank you very much for another great episode of the Propaganda Report. Thanks, Binkley. Thank you. Hi. Hey, Joe Scarborough, ladies and gentlemen. Drunk and into a fight, but he followed the dead round for years.